Thank you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. Well, good morning. This is an unusual way to be uh, addressing you today. Uh, as you can tell from my voice, I have been struggling all week with a hoarse throat, and it is uh, not getting any better. Along with that, uh, my immediate family has had a family crisis that uh, we're in the middle of, and uh, I called Derek yesterday, and uh, he uh, he just felt the better part of wisdom was for me to stay in Bozeman. So uh, that's what I'm doing. I'll be back down next week, and I uh, already have my plane ticket, and I'm sorry I'm missing you today. Special thanks to uh, Kevin Butler, who is the sound man here at Journey Church in Bozeman, Montana, and uh, he'll be shipping down this uh, file to Tim, your uh, technical expert, and I appreciate all that they're able to do. We're on this series on triggers. And how we respond unrighteously to particular events in our life. And we've looked at the issues of purity and anger and and quite a number of them. But this morning we're going to look at hiding. How we respond unrighteously by hiding in given situations. And this is a meaningful topic for me because this is my trigger. This has haunted me most of my life. And I have had to work hard to find God in this place and to provide openings for God to work in this area of my life. To hide at its foundation means I feel a threat. I feel a threat. However uh, unrighteous it is, However unlikely, however unrealistic, yet something inside of me tells me I'm at risk. And I use some mode to hide. And we find this response almost immediately in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3 is our text this morning. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And she said, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, said the serpent. For God knows that when you eat, It, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God and you'll know the difference between good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig trees, fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid. 
from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out the man and he said, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. And part of our response to our fallenness, the response to the circumstances of our lives in a fallen world, the response to the the sins that we've committed, the response to the sins that others have committed against us is often to find a way to hide. I was in a Starbucks in Portland, Oregon. It was crowded. I had ordered a drink, sat, sat down in a corner waiting for them to call my name. I heard my name crowd, and so across this crowded coffee shop, I, I headed for the counter. But another woman was coming through the coffee shop at a angle, and we met in the middle. And she stopped, and in that crowded coffee shop, she said, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm always in somebody's road. And then she continued, and I continued. But I heard her. And I thought, here is a woman who is living out her life, trying to find a way not to be in somebody else's road trying to hide away so that she doesn't offend other people, doesn't hurt anybody, doesn't transgress anyone's plans. She was in hiding. I really didn't own up to this in my own life until I was uh, working on my PhD. But when I was a child, I grew up in a farming culture. And in that farming culture of northwest North Dakota... These were people who knew how to work with their hands. My dad, like most of the men I knew, could fix almost anything. They could take apart a car engine, a truck. They could build a a large trailer from scrap uh, pieces. They just had the ability to do almost anything. A vehicle could drive by in the road, and the kids I went to high school with by by looking at the taillights, could tell you what kind of car it was. I couldn't do any of that. I couldn't fix anything. I couldn't repair anything. I didn't know what kind of taillights went on what kind of cars. I didn't really care. At the age of 12, I had a briefcase. I didn't know anybody with a briefcase. I don't know how I ended up wanting to have a briefcase. But I have a brief, I had a briefcase and I had pens and paper in it. And if I had a sleepover to friends, I always took my briefcase. I went to the school fair and spent all my few coins on one booth where you threw darts at balloons and the balloons would break and then you could read inside what gift you won and I spent all my money in that booth trying to win a pen set when I was just 13 years old. By 14, I'd read The Life of Freud. At 15, I'd read an entire Reader's Digest Almanac. But I felt like when I walked into a room, there were no other me's in that room. 
And it was intimidating. And early on, I started to hide. So I'm working on my PhD in Martin Stringer from England, my supervisor. I'd sent him a big section. And he read it. He sent back notes. And he said, everything you have here is fine, except for one thing. He says, where are you? I don't see you anywhere in this section you sent me. You are the researcher. What do you think? What's your perspective? What are your conclusions? That so unnerved me that I had to stop for a few days and figure out what was going on. That really I'd spent my life coming to a conclusion and trying to find somebody else who had it so I could hide behind their authority. Hiding is one of the initial responses, not only of sin, but it is a tool of Satan to keep us from our true identity. John Townsend, in his book, Hiding from Love, and I'm told we have a few copies in the bookstore. I have a little shelf at home, and on that shelf are the books that have changed my life. And and Townsend's book, Hiding from Love, is on that shelf. He says there are at least four foundational reasons for hiding. One is about attachment. It means avoiding relationship because perhaps the relationships have been toxic or harmful. A second is identity. The issues of boundary and separation and how we can get swallowed up by somebody else and their plans for our life. The third is acceptance. The willingness to own the good and bad in ourselves and in others. Some people live as if, if they have any bad at all, they're somehow bad people. And the fourth is responsibility, becoming an adult with adult authority. But that means exposure. And so there are people who hide from becoming an adult. So as we look at these triggers, we look here at the issue of how we hide. Now I'm just going to mention a number of examples in the Bible for hiding. We've already looked at the one Adam and Eve and found fun- fundamental to them was the issue of shame. They were ashamed. And in their shame they hid. Jesus always had a habit of pulling people who felt shame out into the open in order to honor them, to bless them. In essence, to break the bondage of shame in their life. When the woman who had been bleeding came up from behind and touched his garment and then the Bible says she quickly moved away into the shadows, Jesus stopped. And he looked around knowing that somebody had touched him and he perceived that virtue has gone out and he said, who touched me? And she came out of the shadows, out where everybody could see her. That wasn't about shame. That was about Jesus giving her dignity. And then we have Moses. Exodus chapter 4 verse 19 
God has been arguing with Moses that he wants him to go back to Egypt and lead the children of Israel out of the promised land. And Moses comes up with a series of reasons not to. None of them are about the fact that he had killed a guard back there. All of them are about his own sense of inadequacy. That event in Egypt transformed how Moses saw himself. The day before that event, he saw himself one way. And the day after that event, he saw himself differently. And this different Moses was not as assertive. He was not as sure. He says in verse 13, Please send someone else, having already listed that he was not articulate in speech, that people would likely not believe him. So he hide, he hid because of that sense of inadequacy. And then there's Gideon, who, who you may have learned while my, during my time here is one of my favorites. Gideon was hiding because he was being oppressed. Judges 6.11 says he was thrashing out grain in the wine press for fear of the Midianites who would come down and pillage and destroy everything. But it isn't just armies that oppress us. And we can hide from the things that somehow overwhelm us. Then there was Elijah, 1 Kings 19.3. Elijah got to be part of what I think is one of the, one of the two greatest demonstrations of power in all of the Old Testament. The great conflict with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And yet, within minutes of that event, when threatened by Jezebel, the Bible says in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. He hid. If you you read that story, you realize he hid because he was absolutely exhausted. Every ounce of energy was gone. He had expended everything. And he he could not see reality. His perspective was blurred. His understanding of God was in the tank. In fact, he actually asked God to take his life. He saw no point in going on. His despair was so, so deep. And there's, there's one more. And, uh, this, this one's in the New Testament. And it's Timothy. Timothy was Paul's favorite. Paul often seemed very sure of himself and assertive leader. And yet he took a liking to Timothy, who was, if anything, one of the most timid disciples in all of the New Testament. And in Second Timothy, the probably the last book that Paul wrote in the, in the New Testament, he's urging Timothy, fan into flames the gifts that God's given you. Come on, Timothy, come on. Don't be so timid. And then the next verse he says, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of love and power and of sound mind. Timothy naturally receded to the edges of the room. And Paul was constantly urging him out onto the middle of the stage. And so whether it was Adam and Eve or Moses or Gideon or Elijah or Timothy, all of them felt risk. 
if they actually came out of hiding. They all had something in common. God, either directly or through somebody else, had spoken to them and was calling them out. And they were resisting. I've been uh, working on a message for this summer here in Element on uh, how God's with us during our leisure activities. And uh, I'm doing one on music. So I've been watching a lot of uh, music documentaries. And I just finished one on Garth Brooks, who I know has been, uh, been here at the Cheyenne Frontier Days more than once. Garth Brooks was uh, touring maybe the biggest musical event out there in any genre for about a decade. Then one day he realized that other people were raising his kids. And he did almost the unspeakable. He simply quit. And he decided, I'm going to raise my children. And so for 10 years he he was virtually absent from the music scene. And then he decided to come back. But he was nervous. He was nervous. He didn't know. One man said when when Garth Brooks retired, there were no cell phones. When he came back, everybody had a cell phone. Had the world moved on? Would they still want his music? Well, he got his answer. One of the first concerts he did was Chicago, and this is, this was when he decided he'd go to a town and stay there as long as they would sell out the arena. And so tickets went on sale in Chicago, and he waited with nervous anticipation. Twenty minutes later, his manager called and said, Garth, I think we're going to be all right. Twenty minutes. There were 299,000 people in the ticket queue. So it was on that tour that he uh, he'd finished his concert. He'd headed to the side stage as people demanded an encore. And while he was standing in the shadows, he looked over and he saw a woman who worked in the concessions. And he motioned her over because she seemed to want to say something to him. And she said to him, what's it like? What's it like? You mean that? Up on the stage with a 100,000 people clamoring to see you again? She said, what's it like? From someone who lives in the shadows. And Garth Brooks, in one of the magical moments of his career, said, well, let's go see. And he took her by the hand and he led her out onto the stage for his encore set. He introduced her to the crowd told them who she was and said, would you treat her like you would treat me on this stage? And so she got this standing ovation. And then while she sat there on stage, he sang a couple songs. Then she stood up next to him and he whispered to her, now you have to say goodbye. And she said, but I don't want to. And he said, that's what it's like. And 
for so many people that are hiding. The Lord wants to take you by the hand and take you out onto the stage and say, let me show you what it's like to be loved, to not be in fear, to not always feel the threat lingering over you. So in my, my life right now, as I try to live out the boldness that Christ calls me to, the timid part of me wants to well up. The sense of being overwhelmed by circumstances out of my control. And so I go to the Lord this week and I cry out and I ask Him to hold back, hold back the waves. And you know what he says to me? He gives me a verse out of the book of James. When all kinds of trials and tribulations crowd into your life, do not resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. That verse came like a lightning bolt. It came like like I had touched an electric wire. I cringed back from it. And the Lord said, I mean this, this whole thing you're a participant in right now. This is a tool for me to bring people life. So you've got to let me do it. So if you're here this morning and you're hiding, for any number of reasons, including the ones we've looked at, I don't mean to compare God and Garth Brooks. But like Garth Brooks, would you let him take you by the hand and lead you out into the light? Because it's in the light that we realize that you can't live there without the resources of God. Life's just too big. There's too much stuff gets thrown at you. You and I need the resources of the Lord. I've been listening to an old gospel song this week, kind of over and over, over and over, called The Anchor Holds. Uses a ship's metaphor. The anchor holds, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds, though the sails are torn. That's what the Lord wants to tell us this morning. And so as we finish this morning, if you've been in hiding, would you have the courage to just ask God to show you that first step out? It'll feel risky. You'll feel the danger of it. Part of your emotions and mind will say, don't do it. But it's only out there in the light, not in the shadow, that you'll find the sufficiency of Christ in this hour of need. So let's pray together. Lord, I'm grateful to you for your kindnesses during times of need in our life. I pray that you will bless each one of us here. For those of us who struggled and we have used hiding as our way of coping with life's difficulties, 
Show us how to reach out for your resources as you tried to get Moses to do, as you tried to get Timothy to do, as you invited Elijah to do, to step up to a new level of living because we're living with you, no longer relying on our old tools to cope with this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.